At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 328 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the BMW X5, E-Drive 50, Toyota Sequoia, and Honda Pl- Civic. Uh, also, uh, Jamie Kipman takes a look at the Fisker Ocean. EV sales, contrary to popular uh, opinion in the media, are not collapsing. Uh, Stellantis is going to partner with Ample to test out battery swapping on upcoming EVs. The end of the road for the Chrysler 300. Uh, Toyota is using service solutions to help with its battery recycling. Honda is teasing new EVs that are going to show up next month at CES. There's a new Chevy Bolt coming in 2025. We talk about the platicy and uh, BMW or Tanya tells us about her visit to BMW Silicon Valley Tech Center. And I also have a conversation with Derek Sequera from GM Energy to talk about charging. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 328 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu Al Samad from Guidehouse Insights. I am Roberto Baldwin from uh, SAE International. I couldn't remember where I was from for a second there. I was just going to say, it's still new enough that you can't remember where you where you work. That's, that's like, where, a good where thing. Where am I? You're in the honeymoon period. The honeymoon period is good. Don't don't give that up. Uh, this is Tanya Gastic <laughs> from Media Post and a variety of freelance publications. And thank you for joining us again this week, Tanya. Um, why don't we start with you, uh, since you're our, our guest host this week, um, what have you been driving? Well, I just picked up late Friday night, so I have not been in it for very long, but I picked up a Toyota Sequoia all wheel, our four wheel drive, uh, hybrid platinum version. And the thing is basically a beast. It barely fits in my driveway. I have an old school driveway, and I, I really have to be careful not to hit the side of the two houses. It's it's that big. Ooh. And um, yeah, I mean it's it's a great vehicle. But you know, my first thing that I was thinking was, how is this different than the Grand Highlander? I mean, how do they not cap you know cannibalize each it's, other? It's, it's less fuel efficient, and um, I think has Actually, less less space for for passengers. Actually, every every Toyota SUV is like two inches bigger than the previous or or SUV. They're all two inch. There's two inch increments. The the fuel efficiency is actually very similar to the Grand Highlander. So that's that's uh. uh that's, this is I don't know this about that. Nineteen city twenty two highway for an average of twenty. The Grand Highlander is twenty one city. So it's it's a couple. Uh, that is that with the the hybrid max. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not that much different. Here's the point of distinction. It's the toy towing capacity. So this thing tows 
I don't know, like 9,000 pounds, the Grand Highlander only tows 5,000. So if you've got a gigantic boat, uh, then you want to get the, the Sequoia. Hella boat. Big boat, big, big RV, you know, big things to tow. Then you get the Sequoia. Well, it's a beautiful vehicle. It's very luxurious inside. It's probably a little more upscale feeling than the, than the Grand Highlander, which seems more more family friendly. Mm-hmm. Well, especially in the platinum version. But the other yeah. thing, too, is I think, yeah, there's probably more of a difference between real world fuel efficiency with the Grand Highlander and the uh, and the, the Sequoia than the EPA labels might imply, because usually the my experience with the Sequoia and the Tundra uh, with that hybrid system that they have on there. Not it's generally not any better in fuel economy than the uh, than the straight gas version. Ah, OK. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't driven it enough to really have a good assessment of of the of the fuel economy, but uh, hopefully this afternoon I'll be going somewhere and I can <laughs> I can report back next week if I'm on again. You could tow a house. I could tow or... my house. My house is small enough that I probably could hit, pick it up and and take it down the street if I wanted to. But the price, I again, that's another point of distinction. The price on this is much higher than the Grand Hybrid or Grand Highlander. Excuse me. Do you want to guess what this one is? Uh, you get the platinum. I'm going to yep. say eighty thousand dollars. Eighty-seven. Eighty-two. Oh, that's close. So <laughs> I think you would have won. Price is right. Yep. Yeah, we go by Price is Right rules here. Uh, yeah, Tanya. Sam, so Sam wins. <laughs> Clo- closest without going over. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. <laughs> She's like, oh man, why did I? Why did I say I do this? <laughs> No, I know what price prices right rules are. I grew up watching the show. I totally understand what that do, means. Do, do you do you also subscribe to the TPI TPIR cars account on Instagram? Yes, I do. That Wait, for, for those for those that don't know, TPIR cars is an account that posts uh clips from um prices right um segments where they have cars that they're giving away um on Instagram. And, you know, so you have, you know, so they'll show, they'll do screenshots and occasionally have some video clips on there. And they actually just had one um, from the other day. You know, most, most people are familiar with the modern iteration of The Price is Right that was hosted for millennia by Bob Barker um, and, and now uh, Drew Carey. But um, uh, the original version from the, I guess, from the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s in black and white the format was a little bit different um, and they, they posted, I saw one, a clip yesterday that was from about, I want to say like 1961 or something. They had a Chrysler 300 G convertible uh, on there. And, 1961 Chrysler 300 G. Oh, I, I got it right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it, if, if you, if you like seeing some of the, the interesting cars that, yeah, that, um, Price is Right has given away over the years. You know, they've got everything from Pintos and Vegas, you know, to uh, Trans Ams and Corvettes and um, and and some imports as well. You know, Toyotas. It's it's a fun it's a fun account to follow. I love a new car. car. It's yeah. it's an awesome account. TPI Cars. Anyway, I don't even know where to- my phone's at. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I'm not sure where I put my phone or it. Oh, wait, I have, I have an iPad. I can just, just subscribe to it right now. All right, you guys keep talking. <laughs> back, back to your, it's TPIR cars. Um, anyway, uh, Tanya, back to the Sequoia after yes. that little divergence. Yes. Um, anything else? I mean, you, you've, you've only had it for, you know, for a day or so. Uh, anything else uh, about it, you know, that uh, you want to talk about? Well, I was pleasantly surprised with the wireless Apple CarPlay. That's still always a surprise and delight feature after having been in so many cars that don't have it. And yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, the screen is gigantic. It's it feels huge to me. I'm not sure if it even needs to be that big. How big is it? It's a 14 inch audio. And I guess 14 inch isn't that big, really, but it feels really big. I was just in a car this week that has a 17.7 yeah. inch display. Yeah, I was going to say 14 is really nothing. What did I drive last week? I had a Civic last week. So the Civic had that little tiny screen. So compared to the Honda Civic, this is like, I mean, I love that car, though. I've just, I have to say, I didn't get to talk about it last week because, again, I'd only been in it for a day or two, but that turned out to be a really wonderful driving experience. And I would highly, highly recommend anybody uh, looking for a, a very um, well-equipped, comfortable, fairly inexpensive car to consider the Honda Civic. And did you have the okay. sedan or the, the hatchback? I had the sedan. Okay. That's I think almost... the hatchback is a better, better option. I, you know, obviously. Hatchback's always a better option. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and especially on this, this current generation, because yeah, unlike the the previous generation, which is what my wife and I have, um, you know, the the hatchback was a little more distinct from the sedan in its shape. The current one, they're basically they basically have identical profiles on the sedan and the hatchback, except you know one has you know a much larger opening in the back if you need to put big stuff in in the back, you know, fold down the back seats as opposed to the little tiny opening that you have with the sedan. Yeah. Yeah, this was a great car and it's uh loaded. The one I had was a touring 40 touring 1.5 40 touring um fully loaded 319. That's not bad. No, it had everything. It literally yeah. had everything you could want in a car. So and and I think Civics still start somewhere in the low twenties, like right around twenty-three or so, I think. Yeah, I mean that's you can't find that with very many vehicles. And you know, the thing is they don't they don't strip them. A lot of you you see base prices like that on other manufacturers, and it's like, well, what does it have? Uh you get a package for the steering wheel. No, almost. Yeah. You get some vice grips that you just attach to the steering column and you just kind of <laughs> put the vice grips back and forth. I mean, this had everything, leather trimmed seats, leather wrapped steering wheel, you know, all, all the fancy stuff that you get in a higher end car for thirty one nine. So. Yeah, the 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 LX, the base LX model starts at twenty three nine fifty, and that you know still has um, you know CarPlay and Android Auto capability, you know with the touchscreen. Um, it it does have the the less powerful two liter four cylinder, um, that the turbo the one point five liter turbo is a nice engine. Yeah, that's what it we have. One hundred eighty. It has one hundred eighty horsepower, but it felt mm -hmm. very adequate. Very yeah. very adequate. You can't really go by the horsepower numbers. I think the, the weight of the vehicle can make a huge difference there. Oh yeah, and Hondas have always, you know, been fairly modest in terms of weight, especially cars like the Civic and the the Accord. They're they're generally on the the lower end weight wise. So right, right. All right, 
cool. Robbie, what about you? Did you get to drive anything I, this week? Finally, I did not drive anything this week. I'm uh, still. I'm still. I know I didn't send. I I've been so busy at work, and so I didn't send them an email that said, "Hey, I need all these cars." <laughs> <laughs> and I keep like like oh, I got to send that email. Uh, I really got to send that email. Whew, I should really send that email. So I have not had a car in like two weeks, maybe three at this uh-huh. point. Um, and so yeah, I really need to get on it. <laughs> I'm all really right. far behind. <laughs> All right. Well, I had um, the BMW X5 E-Drive 50, which is the latest iteration of the X5. And in in BMW's nomenclature, E-Drive means that it's got electric drive. So it's it's a plug-in hybrid um, in this case. It's not uh, full battery electric. Um, and for 2024, um, the, the, the plug-in hybrid version of the X5 and I think a couple of other models got some upgrades. Uh, to the powertrain, uh, so they got a it's got a more powerful electric motor than it had before, um, and a significantly larger battery. Uh, I believe it used to be about a seventeen kilowatt hour battery pack, sixteen or seventeen kilowatt hour battery pack. Um, so now uh, you've got you still have the three liter twin turbo inline six cylinder, which is as always BMW's six cylinder engines are just amazing. 308 horsepower from the from the the internal combustion, but it's now got 194 horsepower from the electric motor and 280 pounds feet of torque. Um, wow. So that combines to get you 483 horsepower and 516 foot pounds of torque um, when you're in hybrid mode. So when you've got both the engine and the electric motor going, this thing's got some serious get up and go. I mean that's approaching where the original BMW X5M was a decade ago. Um, I think I think that one was close to 600. Uh, but, you know, you get, you're up to almost 500 horsepower now from a plug-in hybrid. And the battery pack in this thing now is up to, to the, the total pack size is 29.5 kilowatt hours, of which 25.7 kilowatt hours is useful, uh, usable. And I think uh, before, like I said, I think it was about 17 uh, before. So it, it it used to have like mid-20s, uh, low to mid-20s uh, mileage on a, on a charge. I did my usual drive loop last week with, uh, with the X5. And in a mix of some highway driving, some urban, suburban driving, stop and go, it went 45 miles before the engine finally kicked on and it went into hybrid mode. Um, and it's rated at 38 or 39, um, 30, 39. So TPA rated at 39 miles of electric range. I got 45 out of it. And that was on a relatively cold day with the heater going. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, electric heat in this case. Uh, so, you know, not even ideal conditions. So, you know, if you if you had one of these or anything else, you know, from BMW with this powertrain, you for almost everybody, you could do you know literally all of your almost all of your daily driving without using excuse me without using any gas. Um, and then you know, in hybrid mode, it's rated at fifty eight miles per gallon equivalent, uh, which is also pretty impressive. Gas only, it's it's twenty two. So the combined rating. Um, of plug-in hybrid, you know, of electric and, and hybrid, you know, and they've got a formula that 
um, estimates, you know, based on uh, modeling of how people actually drive. They figured, you know, the average person will get about 58 MPGE combined between electric and gas. And then 22, you know, the, the X5 is a pretty big, pretty hefty, um, you know, mid midsize SUV. Um, you know, and to get to get 22 out of that in um, in in hybrid mode with with the engine running is actually pretty good. It's it's better than I would expect. Um, the uh, uh, the 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 X5 PHEV is is not inexpensive though. You know, it, it's a BMW, so it's it's fairly pricey. Um, the starting price for this one is $72,500. The one I drove had the driving (laughs) assist pro package, the M sport package, the M sport professional package, the parking assist package, the executive package, uh, which gives you glass controls on, you know, on the, for the iDrive knob and and assorted other things, the Harman Kardon sound system, uh, the climate comfort package with front and rear heated seats, uh, the M Sport Package Pro. Yeah, okay, that, that already said that um, up above. Um, that gets you red brake calipers, M Sport brake calipers, because you know that'll that'll make you stop at least three or four inches slower or quicker. Um, you know, and, and this is a they don't really, heat up because they're not black. That's right. That's true. So they radiate <laughs> the heat right. off a little bit better. Um, so. Yep. All in, this came to $87,745, um, which... Nothing. You know, That's nothing. Is not it's inexpensive. A C-level executive. <laughs> yeah. For, I mean, you know, for, for a loaded, you know, fairly well-loaded BMW, you know, it's it's not crazy, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's not an inexpensive vehicle. Um, but, you know, it feels, you know, very premium. Uh, the seats in this thing um, that that you get with it are really nice, really comfortable. Um, when you uh, you can when you put it in sport mode, the the side bolsters automatically tighten up a little bit to hold you in place a little bit better. Um, got uh, you know heating and ventilation of the seats. Uh, the uh, uh, the instrument cluster display you know is now the the same thing that you find on all the latest BMWs with one huge uh, slab of curved glass. Uh, there's actually two separate displays behind it, one for the instrument cluster, one for the infotainment system. It's got the latest iDrive 8.5 system on there, which changes up the interface a little bit so you can get the um, the map display um, to, to the right, uh, taking up about three quarters of the display, and then uh, a column of widgets that you can scroll through on the on the left uh, to get things like your media player and, and other stuff. It also has support for wireless Android auto and, and Apple CarPlay uh, in there. Um, and so essentially, you know, this, if, if you're looking for a luxury two row SUV that gets really good uh, fuel economy for particularly given the performance, you know, that 483 horsepower, you know, when you stand on this thing, it goes. I mean, it, it is really quick. But even when you're in electric mode, um, with just the 190 horsepower, it still has more. Or 194 horsepower. It still has more than enough performance for you know for daily driving. You know, you can easily accelerate up 
to merge with traffic, you know, getting on the highway. Um, as I said, you know, I, I did a bunch of highway driving with it as well as a bunch of city driving and had no problem at all running, uh, running on electric alone. Um, you know, I drove it to a meeting Monday morning in, in Detroit, uh, and that's about 35 miles away. And it still had, um, enough electricity afterwards that I was almost able to get back to, um, back to, uh, Detroit Metro airport from downtown Detroit, uh, before it finally kicked into hybrid mode. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking for some, for a luxury two row SUV that is most, that can be mostly electric, you know, for most of the vast majority of your driving, um, this is definitely one worth taking a look at. Um, you want to take a guess at the destination charge? Oh, 1300. No, wait, 1295. <laughs> Tanya, you want to guess? Uh, say a dollar. <laughs> I'm going to say 995. Oh, you win both showcases. This is exactly $995. Oh, you get both the cars wow. and the jet skis and the washer dryer combo. Yeah. That hardly, that hardly seems fair because I was just at Test Fest driving BMW. So I was staring oh, at it's fine. ponies for, for like four days. <laughs> but, I, uh, I, I probably would have been staring at the money five minutes ago and I still wouldn't have remembered. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this and this is one of those, um, you know, things that seems a little odd that, um, you know, for a vehicle this expensive that the, you know, the, the destination charge would be so low because, you know, we talk about things like F-150s and, and Rams, you know, they're charging now charging $2,000 for destination charges. And, you know, basically it comes down to, you know, the premium brand vehicles, they're not trying to hide the price. They're just putting it right in the sticker. And, you know, instead of inflating the destination charge, um, you know, they're, and you know, where, where you don't see it in the advertised price, they're just putting it right up front. So this is, this is what we're going to charge you. And, and that's that. Um, so it's, it's definitely, um, you know, not a, not a bad deal. Plus, you know, these things are built in Spartanburg. So, you know, it's all coming from South Carolina instead that of Germany. A big difference. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. 
Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to Patreon.com slash Media, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearings media. Um, all right, let's move on to some of the stuff that uh, was happening this week. Um, first, first off, have either of you had a chance to drive the Fisker Ocean yet? No. Sadly, no. Yeah, neither have I. Uh, but Jamie Kipman got to drive one. Um, and um, he uh, wrote his review for Road and Track. And, um, Ooh, I'll bet Fisker wishes that they hadn't given him that chance to yeah. after reading this review. Yeah, it was not good. Um, you know, it essentially Jamie's, uh, the bottom line is Jamie doesn't think this thing's ready for prime time. It's not, not ready for, for customers. Uh, he felt, he said, you know, a lot of the interior felt really cheap, <laughs> which, uh, excuse me, which surprises me. Because most of the engineering on this was done by Magna, uh, you know, and they and they manufacture it. Magna Steer manufactures these things in Austria, and you know, I I would have thought that they you know would have done a more robust job on a lot of this stuff, but you know, it, it's hard to say what the what the working relationship is between uh, Magna Steer and their uh, their client companies uh, like Fisker. Um, and, and who makes the, ultimately makes the decisions on a lot of this stuff, but it sounds like, you know, for the, uh, ocean extreme that, um, that Jamie was driving, uh, you know, which is what I think almost $70,000, um, 61,499. Really, really not. I mean, I mean, it's a lot, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it doesn't, apparently it doesn't feel nearly as, premium as that price would imply. So uh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate and say, if you, that, that vehicle that he drove was, it was a lot, but if you look at the other oceans, like the ocean sport, it, it starts at 38, nine. So, and it shares probably a lot of the same parts with, mm-hmm. with the one he drove. So if you're going to try to keep your prices down like that, you've got to, you've got to sacrifice something somewhere. Yeah. But I mean, even, you know, on a lot of other cars, you know, where there are more premium trim levels, you usually, you know, that's reflected in, in the way they finish the interior, for example. And it sounds like that wasn't the case here. They you just know, they, took the, the least expensive trim level and threw it in all. Just put a, a bigger battery and an extra motor in there. Yeah. And, kinda... and, and some options. Um, but, you know, even the, you know, the, the Ultra uh, is priced at fifty two nine ninety nine. Yeah, that that Ocean Sport, um only has a range of 231 miles. It's a single motor front wheel drive and has a lithium iron phosphate battery. So it's only rated at 230 miles uh, versus, uh, you know, 350 uh, rating for the extreme. Um, so, you know, that's, it, it, so, it sounds like Fisker's got more work to do. And, you know, they've had some challenges in recent weeks. They've been cutting back. They've cut back the number of vehicles they're planning to build this year. Um, 
you know, in order apparently in order to save save cash because you know when they when they build when they build the vehicles they got to pay for the parts um, and apparently they need to conserve what cash they have left uh, to develop their next generation of vehicles the pair and uh, and other stuff <laughs> there are some interesting things on this <laughs> yeah excuse me um, the uh, uh, the big screen it's got this uh, 17 inch screen inside um, that when you're driving it and when they first showed off the uh, the ocean in production form a couple of years ago at the LA Auto Show, um, I got to walk around with uh, with Henrik on this. So, in when you're driving, the screen is in portrait mode, but then when you park the car, you can put it into what they call Hollywood mode, and Hollywood. the screen rotates ninety degrees. So, when you're sitting there at a charger, for example, waiting to uh, waiting for the battery to charge, you can put it in Hollywood mode. Uh, and then use that full screen in in landscape mode to um, to watch movies, you know, or watch Netflix, whatever whatever you want on the screen. Um, but you know, um, even with that, you know, Jamie still felt that you know cars like the the uh, you know at the uh, even even cheaper cars than this feel a lot better, feel a lot more premium, like the Hyundai Kona, uh, the Ionic Five N. And the Genesis GV70, um, and so it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough going for Fisker, I think. Well, it's one review. I mean, yeah. we'll see what others think. He he may have been having a bad bad week. Who knows? Or bad day. I think he's he got it for an hour. That's the other thing. I mean, can you really assess a vehicle? I mean, you can, but an hour is not a lot of time. Yeah, I, I, he he drove it during the World Car of the Year drive program in LA. I would I say. would hesitate to write a full review after just an hour, but that's just me. True, but you know, I mean, even even in in just a few minutes in the car, you can you can certainly get a feel for if the materials and everything feel cheap and if it feels hollow versus you know how reliable it is and he didn't talk to you know reliability or anything like that you know it was just about you know at this price point how does this car feel and it sounds like it doesn't feel very premium yeah. well <sighs> making cars is hard yeah <laughs> that's, my, my, that's my takeaway making one car is like impossible making a lot of cars <laughs> um Another thing, you know, sticking with EVs. Um, so recently there's been a lot of stuff in the media about, you know, EV sales collapsing, you know, Americans don't want EVs. Um, and uh, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with journalists over the past month or two. About oh, this. Guys, it's, it's, a, it's, it's tiresome. <laughs> it is so tiresome. Um, you know, because the reality is, you know, I, I pulled up sales data um, for for the U.S. Uh, for the last three years. And, you know, because, you know, we've heard over the last few months, you know, Ford, you know, pulling back on some of their investments, EV investments, slowing down, you know, the timing for when they're going to open one of their battery plants, cutting back the plants for another battery plant and, and how many EVs they want to build. Same thing at GM. And the reality is that it's more of a Ford and GM problem than it is an industry problem. 100%. Yeah. Exactly that. Because so far um, through uh, the end of November now, um, 
we uh, the Americans have bought almost 1.1 million electric battery electric vehicles, which is the first time ever that we sold over a million EVs in the United States. Um, in 2022, in the full 12 months, it was 803,000. So we're we're on pace for selling about 100,000 EVs a month right now in the U.S. So we should be at about close to 1.2 million uh, for end of year. 800,000 last year, 500,000 in 2021. Um, you know, we're up to 7.4% market share for EVs. And it was 5.6 last year, 3.2% in uh, in 2021. So EV sales are up for almost everybody. Um, but, uh, um, you know, Tesla, you know, is still the number one purveyor of EVs in the U.S., Although their market share has dropped significantly for EVs, you know their share of the U.S. EV market has dropped significantly. Their their sales are up this year, mostly because they slashed prices on the Model Three and the and the Model Y and the S and the X. Um, but their uh, Tesla's share of the U.S. EV market has gone from seventy two and a half percent in twenty twenty one to sixty five percent last year, and is down to fifty six and a half percent so far. Uh, in 20, 2023. Um, meanwhile, um, let's see, uh, Hyundai Motor Group, so Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis are up to 7.8% now. They're number two in terms of EV sales um, in uh, in the U.S. Volkswagen's at almost 6% um, and uh, of, of, the, of the EV market. Um, and um, other... You know, even GM, uh, let me find GM here on my, on my chart. Uh, even GM is at 6.4%, um, and Ford is uh, just shy of 6%, 5.8%. So, you know, the, the panic about EV sales is more about the fact that I think Ford and GM have maybe not got the right mix of EVs, you know, and some of their prices are a little bit too high, especially for GM. Um, you know, that they're, you know, the only, the, the vehicles, the, the EVs that GM is actually selling in significant quantities are Chevy bolts. The bolts <laughs> are killing it. Yeah. What are we, we we're like 76,000 so far this year. Something uh, crazy. 70. See bolts and bolts. They need to EVs. kill more vehicles if they're going to get sales like this, you know, yeah, they need to, they need to, they, this, this thing sounded like crazy. Let's stop making it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. The, so so far this year, twenty two thousand bolt EVs and thirty six thousand bolt EUVs. So, uh, fifty uh, fifty eight, uh, about almost fifty nine thousand uh, bolts combined so far, which is like double their you know previous best. Yeah. And so of course they're going to stop building them in about two weeks. So if you want one, you better go get it now. Yeah. Go get a bolt. Or wait till twenty twenty five. And get a more expensive bolt. Um, I don't know that the that 2025 bolt will be more expensive. Um, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm I am only uh, I am I am basing this upon um, the fact that everything uh, GM Ford has said about pricing has been incorrect. That's true. <laughs> they always come out. They're like, yeah, it's going to be 30. Uh, we meant 35. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be 40. We meant 50. Oh, it's going to be. Yeah, and, and there's a lot and, of psych going on over at GM and Ford and, when it comes and, to and next EV week we'll, pricing. 
next week we'll talk about the uh the Chevy Blazer EV. Um oh, got, I yeah. I drove that this week and I but I can't uh, talk about that till next week. Uh, so next week's show tune in for uh the Blazer EV. Um Blazer. But um you know the but unfortunately though for GM the rest of the stuff that they're selling uh has been in tiny volumes. Like uh so far the Blazer EV through November uh they shipped 370 um and uh let's see 267 Silverado EVs you know the Silverado was supposed to be their their big winner that you know this is this was going to be the vehicle that propelled them into the lead of, of EV manufacturing the reason why they're killing the bolt right now is because they wanted to retool that factory to uh to build more Silverados and Sierras uh so far they've sold 267 um and uh, 450, um, 450 of the bright drop electric delivery vans. Uh, and let's see, a thousand Hummer SUVs, um, and 1500, um, of the, uh, uh, Hummer pickups. Uh, but they did sell 7,200 Cadillac lyrics. So they're, that's good. They're, the they're finally, good car. yeah, like they're the finally getting some traction on the lyric. Well, um, I, they, I feel like they, you know, they, they say that there's, there's an issue with the automation and the battery building, which I, which to me goes back to there's an issue with some of the engineering with the battery, that the automation isn't working on it correctly. So, hopefully they've solved that issue and they can start building these vehicles at like scale. Um, the Lyric's a good car. I like the Lyric. Yeah. yeah meanwhile, Hyundai Motor Group has sold uh, <laughs> eighty four thousand EVs, like, and all of yeah. Almost all of those, you know, are coming from Korea, so they they haven't even been eligible for tax credits this year. Unless you um, lease them. Unless, unless you, you lease them. them. Yeah. Um, next year, um, they'll they'll start building more of those here in the U.S. The, the Kia EV9 is going to be built in Georgia starting ne- middle of next year, uh, and uh, um, so there's 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 more more stuff coming. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this has really been you know more a story of a couple of brands than the EV industry as a whole. You know, people yeah. actually are are buying EVs when they can get them and when they're affordable. Yeah, you know, if you if you make them cheap enough, yeah. people will buy them. That's true. That's yeah. true. Look at the Bolt. Yeah, number one selling car. That's not a Tesla. That's an EV. Right. And you know, I, I mentioned you know the overall market share for EVs right now is seven point four seven point five percent in the U.S. But uh, for premium brand for some of the premium brands like BMW and Volvo. They're like twelve and a half percent of their uh, sales are battery electric, and another seven and a half percent are uh, plug-in hybrids. So you know they're they're doing all right. I see so many i fours because when you really it's a, it's a pretty good price point. Mm-hmm. It's a great car, and you're just like I just want a car that's a BMW. I don't want to look like a space car. I don't want. <laughs> I just want a car that's a BMW that happens to be an EV. And yeah. uh, like a bunch of my friends bought I4s. Yeah. No. Apparently my friends are doing better than me. They didn't become writers is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so have have um, have either of you ever heard of uh, Ample, a company called Ample? I've talked to them multiple times, shot videos. So, yeah, I know Ample. <laughs> so Am- Ample is an interesting company. You know, they're. They're uh, they're into battery swapping for EVs, and and the whole concept of battery swapping is a really interesting one. 
Yeah, it's it's not a new idea. Uh, I mean, you know, we used to be able to do it with our phones and our computers, but you know, now yep. they're sealed in. Um, but um, you know, Ample wants to uh, bring back battery swapping. Ba- you know, the first company to to try EV battery swapping was a comp- a startup called Better Place uh, back in 2007. And they were an Israeli startup and they, they built a network of swap stations in Israel and they were supposed to do some in the Netherlands and in Hawaii and I think in Oregon. Um, and they were working with Renault. Uh, Renault did a version of one of their car or one of their EVs with a swappable battery. Um, well, better place went bankrupt in 2013. Um, they went on to a better place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then uh, Tesla came along. And they said, yeah, we can swap batteries in the Model S and the Model X. And they built one battery swap station. And they may or may not have done a handful of swaps there. Uh, But they did get a whole bunch of extra ZEV credits from the state of California that they could sell for millions of dollars. So there's that. Um, (laughs) So they got that going for them, which is nice. The the only company that's actually had some real success with uh, battery swapping is NEO, a Chinese EV manufacturer that now has almost 2,000 swap stations across China. And they've done something on the order of about 50 million swaps. But the thing with NEO and, and all these others so far is all of these companies have had, you know, one or a few vehicles that all use the same battery pack. And, you know, they all swap out the entire battery pack. Um, but because every manufacturer uses different battery packs, different battery chemistries for, for all their different vehicles or most of their vehicles, and there's no standardization across the industry, um, you know, it makes it hard to the, – the economics of battery swapping are, are tough. So Ample came up with a different approach. Instead of swapping the entire battery, they just swap modules. So just a, a subset of the battery, which is basically smaller batteries within a bigger battery pack. And, um, you know, what they came up with was a design where they use a standardized module that can be used across multiple vehicles. And then they design a pack enclosure specific to a vehicle that can hold their standard modules. And so I guess their their first pilot that they did was um, in in San Francisco. Um, with a fleet of Nissan Leafs that were running on a ride-hailing platform. And they built custom battery packs for these and have standardized modules. And because the modules are smaller and lighter than a full battery pack, the hardware to do the robotic swapping is a lot simpler and easier to install. And now this week, Stellantis announced that they're going to work with Ample um, to uh, to adopt, to to try out their, their, bat, their module swapping system. Um, starting next year with a fleet of 500 Fiat 500 E's in Madrid um, that are part of the car sharing program, free to move. Um, what do you, what do you think about swapping batteries as opposed to charging your EV? For, you know, their, their main, when I, I've talked to them a few times and it's, it a lot of it is the, you know, they're starting, they're looking at fleets because fleets mm-hmm. make sense to them because fleets is like, okay, we can't, you know, you, you need this truck to keep going. And let's say you have a hundred trucks. Are you going to put a hundred charging stations in your, you know, your drive, you know, your, your garage at night, or you can just have them run until you need to swap them. And so that makes, it makes sense in, in that sense. And then also that they're, uh, they're actual swapping stations. They can, they can 
they're they're almost they're 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 like IKEAs. They're like <laughs> like flat packed, and they just take it somewhere. And as long as you have a slab of concrete and some electricity, you can set it up in a few days. Is sort of their 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 uh, their selling point. Um, of course, once you set it up, you know you probably have to uh, you know adjust everything to make it so it works correctly. Um, but yeah, they just like slap it down, bring <laughs> it up. And it lifts your car up and then, you know, everything goes underneath. So it's not, uh, you know, they don't have to build a whole building. Um, when you put the, when you drive the vehicle into the station, it actually lifts the car up and then it swaps the battery underneath. It's like getting um, an oil change, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. Pretty much. Like, yeah. like an oil change except with the little elevator. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're, you know, they're working with Mitsubishi Fuso, which, you know, it's, it's which is actually part of Daimler. It's, it's confusing. Don't, don't think about it too hard. Um but yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I talked to them, and uh, I, I see the the benefits for it for fleets. Um, for the average person, I still think it's probably pretty. I mean, especially if you can charge at home. Um, but if there are people who are like, you know what, I, I I live in a in a in a home that I can't charge at home for whatever reason. I don't have a driveway. I don't. Uh, I don't have a garage. I don't want to deal with the infrastructure. Um, maybe I could just get a car. That uh, that you know, and these vehicles have to be built for this. That you know, you can't just go out and buy like an i4 and then take it to Ample and they'll swap it out for you. These have to be these are purpose built built vehicles. So you know, they need that that deal with Stellantis. So Stellantis and that they and Stellantis like team up to to build these specially uh, outfitted 500Es. Yeah, and you know one of one of the challenges um, with their approach, you know, with if, if you're if you have a if you designed a battery pack specific to a vehicle, you know, you can really optimize the packaging to get as many cells within that pack as you can get the maximum amount of, of um, energy capacity in there. But, you know, if you're going to use a standardized module format, depending on the size of the vehicle and how the, the pack fits in there, you, you know, you may not be, because, you know, the, these things are I don't know, probably about, 18 by 12 inches, roughly, you know, maybe six inches thick. Um, and, uh, you know, so depending on how they fit in, you know, if you, you imagine, you know, if you, if you have a, a, a box and then you're putting some blocks in there, you know, and the blocks are all the same size, but they don't, it's the, the interior of the box is not a perfect, uh, a perfect multiple of that block size. You know, so if it's, if it's maybe three and a half blocks across, um, you know, instead of four blocks, then you might have some empty space, some wasted space. So depending on the yeah. particular you, vehicle, I mean, you could you could get it like let's say the 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 regular vehicle gets three hundred miles, the ample version of the vehicle will get two fifty. Yeah, so you might lose a little bit of range, but um, you know, depending on the use case, like you know, in this case with Stellantis, they're doing car sharing. You know, so these are Fiat five hundred Ds for a car sharing program that. You know, these are, you know, short-term rentals that people drive around town. You know, if they don't own a car, they can, you know, use the app, rent one of these, you know, to drive to Ikea to to pick something up uh, and then drive home, you know, drop it off. Uh, so they're, they're not doing long road trips with these things. So the range is not so much of a problem. And, you know, uh, with, with gas-powered cars and car sharing services, you know, the staff of the car sharing service can, you know, when the car is getting low, they can go pick up the car, take it to a gas station, fill it up, take it back, you know, with charging, you know, that now they have to potentially, you know, sit around for an hour or more, you know, waiting for it to charge. 
but with swappable batteries, they can just take it to a nearby swap station. Takes less than five minutes to swap, and then they go back and drop it off on the on the street somewhere where another renter can pick it up. So it, it makes perfect sense for this kind of use case where you don't necessarily need the absolute maximum amount of range, but you want it. You want maximum uptime. You don't you don't want the car sitting around unusable for any extended period of time. So, so Teslas are are becoming big for Uber drivers in in Detroit, believe it mm-hmm. or not. And I've I've talked to a number of them while I've been charging my my um whatever I'm driving for the week, and and they are really not sure how to feel about it because they're spending a lot of time at the charging station. You know when they could be out driving people and making more money. So in a case like just for Uber, say for example, or Lyft, it could make it could make perfect sense. Yeah, and this is- you're not driving, you're not making money. Right. And this is this is the same problem that uh, that Hertz had that they talked about in their Q3 earnings. You know, they've they've over the last couple of years, they bought thirty five thousand Teslas and fifteen thousand um, uh, Polestar twos that they put in their fleet. And and they have plans to buy, you know, many thousands more. You know, they over the you know the rest of the decade, they, they would ultimately like to get almost their entire fleet to be electric. But um, the you know, one of the many problems that they've had in addition to things like, you know, very high repair costs for the Teslas is the charging, you know, with their gas powered vehicles um, at busy locations like airports, you know, when you go, when you go to a Hertz outlet or Avis or budget, you know, at an airport at a major airport, when cars come in, they're usually turning those cars, you know, cleaning them, making sure they're gassed up, you know, checking them out. And they're going back out with another renter in 20 to 30 minutes, which with an EV, if a customer brings it back uncharged, you know, now it's sitting around potentially for, you know, a couple of hours or more. So that- I was one of those customers who got a Hertz Tesla. And I will, I will tell you the penalty for not bringing it back fully charged. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was way higher than if you don't bring back a gas vehicle fully below, you know, fully. right. And that's, that's because it, you know, the, the cost to Hertz is not just, you know, the cost of the electricity, but the lost cost, you know, the time that they can't rent that car. So I stopped at a Tesla, you know, yeah. station on my way back to the airport. It was not a big deal. Right. And, and, you know, if, if there is a station nearby, then, then that's fine. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're renting, you know, if you're, if you're not, th- if you're not used to driving an EV and you don't plan for an extra half hour, you know, or 40 minutes to, to charge it, um, you know, and you're in a hurry, you know, you just go drop it off. Or if there's no charging station nearby, uh, nearby the airport. And this is one of the the problems that Hertz also has is they don't necessarily have the charging infrastructure at a lot of their, their sites. And so, you know, they're having to send staff out with the cars to public charging stations to charge them. So they're paying for those people to sit around and wait while the cars charge. So, you know, if they had, you know, something like battery swapping that they could potentially be turning cars around a lot faster. Yeah, no, it, you know, it sucks because they used to be able to get those, those EVs cheaper. And after that, uh, that call now they're, they're more expensive than the cheaper car. Cause you could get them like on a deal. Cause mm-hmm. I would, I could get a test because, uh, we're, uh, I, in, um, SAE's internationals headquarters is in near Pittsburgh. So I could fly in, get a hurt, get a, get a Tesla. 
and then I could charge it at work because we have a charge point at work. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, wee! So I was like, free. Like, it was like free. Well, I mean, it wasn't free, but you know, the company still pays for it, but they're paying less than if I like, you know, rent a rent a gas car. And I just could show up every morning and I plug in the Tesla and then I take it to back to to Hertz. And he, I think you have to be at eighty percent. So the last day, I just you know charge it to a hundred, and at the end of the day, I'm done. Yeah. But not anymore. Boo. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. All right. Um, let's stick with Stellantis for a minute. Um, the, um, the Chrysler 300, one of the, uh, the last of the classic American big sedans, even though it's built on a German design platform, um, is... <laughs> Reaching the end of the road. Uh, this week, uh, Chrysler built the last of the 300 Cs, which is a special edition uh, version that they they launched earlier this year uh, with uh, with a 485 horsepower Hemi V8. Um, and then, in sometime in the next couple of weeks, you know, probably right before Christmas, uh, when they when they shut down for the Christmas break, um, they will be building the last Chrysler 300 of any kind, or at least you know, of the, this generation of 300s. Um, so it's the end of the road for the 300. Uh, what do you, what do you two think about the 300? Bring back the Magnum. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think about the 300. That model is incredibly popular in Detroit. You know, it I live in going. Detroit and I am, I am just, I am, I don't know what people are going to drive in Detroit because I would say <laughs> half of the cars I see in my neighborhood are, are 300s. It's just the most popular model. And I'm thinking, and they're not so, you know, Detroit people are sort of us big three centric. So I'm thinking, what else is there, you know, from, from Chrysler Ford or, or um, GM that they're going to drive, I guess they're going to have to switch to Cadillacs 
the the one Cadillac sedan that's left. Well, the only the only other Chrysler model still in production is the, is the Pacifica. Yeah. Yeah. Um, minivan. And there's supposed lovely. to be there's supposed to be a bunch more new Chryslers, you know, electric Chryslers coming starting in 2025. But and for now, all you got is the Pacifica. <laughs> and um, and there's nothing else really like the 300. Um, you know, and of course, the, the Charger is also going away uh, this the end of this month. Um, there, there's not really any other large, you know, traditional American sedans. It's big. Bah. Yeah. yeah. No, the thing, that thing just keeps going. It's never. I, I, I figured they would just keep. They would just keep making them until the very last day, and then there'd still be a guy at like at two a.m. making like four more. I got to make this last four. <laughs> yeah. Well, that last day is coming up pretty soon. So. No, well, no and you don't have it down as, as one of the stories we're talking about, but, you know, they also announced that they're killing the Renegade this week. Oh, yeah. They, they actually announced it. So I, I take complete credit for that because last week I talked about how great the Renegade was. Oh, that I so drove. it's your fault. And the exact same thing uh, happened with the Chevy Bolt. The exact same thing. I had I did a review of the Chevy Bolt and they killed it the next hey, day. What did you talk about this week? Before everyone go out and buy this before uh Tanya kills Tanya, so, uh, Tanya's Tanya killing Civic, spree. The, the, the Toyota Sequoia and the Honda Civic. I, 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 oh no, I think those vehicle. actually those are fine. Those are okay. <laughs> but fine. I just think it's you know, I, I went on and on last week about how great the renegade was, and then press release comes out like three days later. We're killing it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I actually like the Renegade, um, and uh, you know, for for a small crossover, yeah, you know, it's it's actually pretty capable off road as well. Um, so it's a it's a shame that that one's going away. It's got a cool name, Renegade. Yeah. But I, I suspect uh, I suspect we might see a replacement in the next year or two um, that's electric. So the electric Renegade. Use the name though. Keep Renegade. Yeah. That's a good Bring name. it back. Well, I mean, they yeah. brought the, they brought the three hundred back. The three hundred was yeah. dead. And they brought it back. So this could be a temporary death. You know, it could come back as an electric. Maybe who knows? Yeah, like Lazarus, Lazarus <laughs> from the grave. <laughs> um, all right, um, Toya. You know, we, we talked about battery swapping, but there's also battery recycling. Um, you know, once once batteries are no longer useful for swapping into a car, um, you need to dispose of them somehow. And there's, you know, there's a few companies out there that are starting to do recycling of, of lithium ion batteries. Um, Redwood Materials is, is probably the best known one. It was founded by uh, J.B. Straubel, the former CTO of Tesla. Um, and there's also Lifecycle and, and a few others out there. Uh, but one of, the, one of the challenges is kind of figuring out the business model. You know, is you, you sell a car with a battery in it, at, you know, when it's built. And then when either the vehicle or the battery reaches the end of its useful life on the road, you know, there has to be a process to get that battery from the car to the recycler. And so there, you know, there's a, a bunch of companies working on this, you know, but, you know, trying to figure out the, the value chain, who owns the battery at various stages of its life, who gets paid for it, you know, because, when part of the reason why we recycle batteries is because there's a lot of valuable materials in there. Well, who's going to benefit from the value in those materials. And so um, Toyota announced this week that they're partnering with a company called Serba solutions. Um, and there's a couple of others out there. There's another company I met recently called currents uh, that's doing this. 
but with uh, Toyota and Serba, um, they are developing a, a logistics network to handle uh, end-of-life uh, batteries from hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and battery electric vehicles. And right now, for you know, for Toyota, you know, there's not many end-of-life battery electric bat, you know, battery electric vehicles, but there's certainly you know they they've whole lot they, of they've been sold, selling hybrids for 25 years now. Um, and so there's many millions of these things. They've that... sold 6.2 million combined hybrid, hybrid and, and plug-in hybrids since 2000. And that's, that's just million. in the U S yeah. Yeah. And there's, it's about like globally, the number is about 25 million. Um, so, oh. you know, as, as those vehicles reach the end of life, you know, you got to deal with those batteries. And so they're working with Serba to, uh, to set up a process for, collecting those batteries and distributing them to uh, to the various recycling facilities around the country. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So when you go and you, you, you go to buy a new car, do you like, like, okay, we're going to give you this much. Is there going to be a base price based on how much, you know, battery capacity or what the size of the battery is? You're like, okay, well, you're, you have a hundred kilowatt hour battery pack. So you get, you know, 500 extra dollars in addition to whatever we'll give you for this vehicle or something, or I don't know. One more thing just to figure out. I yeah. don't give you anything and everyone makes money, but you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's probably more likely. Yeah. The scenario. It's yeah, a huge problem that they need to figure out. And, and, you know, I've had a number of consumers say to me, they won't buy an EV because they don't, they, you know, they're environmentalists and they say, what are they going to do with these batteries? It's a problem. They need to figure this out before I buy an EV. But there's, they can just use the internet and look up yeah. <laughs> EV recycling because there's lots of people doing it. Are they still driving gas cars? Because that's also an issue. Well, I mean, if they're yeah. riding bikes, then oh, well, then then that's then then that's a non-issue. They're just making up excuses. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, with this announcement, Toyota, you know, projects that uh, they're going to reduce their overall transportation logistics costs for battery recycling by about seventy percent. Um. You know, because what you know when cars you know, reach the end of their life, they go to a wrecking yard at some location, you know, and there'll be battery recycling plants around the country. Uh, but what you don't want to do is take a battery. Ideally, you don't want to take a battery, you know, from a car, you know, an end of life EV or hybrid in, you know, Seattle and ship it to South Carolina, which is where um, Redwood is building their next recycling plant. You know, you, you want to, and, and you don't want to take the batteries, you know, one onesie twosie here and there. So what some of these companies are doing is developing plans to aggregate. So, you know, when, when wreckers get, um, get in an, an EV or a hybrid, they can go online, you know, and there'll be um, like, there's a company called Currents that's developing a marketplace for this. And they're working with automakers to, you know, you can put in the VIN number of the car. It'll give you the information of the battery, the estimated value of that battery. And then the wrecker can say, yep, I'm good with that price. Um, and, uh, and then they will send around a truck to pick up the batteries and, you know, it, it'll be kind of like, uh, uh, not, not so much like Amazon prime, but, um, but there, you know, there's some other services where, you know, if you can well, actually kind of, yeah, kind of like prime, if you want it picked up right away, they'll give you one price for it. But if you'll hang on to that battery for a week or two. Until you get some more batteries, they'll give you a three dollar digital credit. <laughs> yeah, or you know, they'll, they'll give them more money for that battery. 
Um, so at, because then they can get a whole truckload of batteries together instead of taking them one at a time. So it save, saves a lot of energy and, and costs that way. All right. <clears throat> um, sticking with, still with EVs, um, Honda is one of the few automakers that actually is planning to be at CES next month. Uh, most of the other automakers have pulled out. Hyundai and Kia are going to be there. Mercedes-Benz is going to be there. Um, and so is Honda. Um, and Honda um, is going to be showing off at least concept versions of their, their new EVs uh, that are coming in 2026. Uh, and they released a teaser image uh, this week. Um, it's uh, it's quite a quite a departure. <laughs> I mean, we see kind of the front end of this car. And if this is actually what what the new Hondas or Honda EVs are going to look like, it's uh, quite a quite different from what we've seen up till now from Honda. Look out, Cybertruck! This is as weird as you are. Yeah, but it'll last one hundred years. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it. It's kind of a it's it's wedge shaped, um, you know, kind of a flat front. Uh, it doesn't look like anything we've seen from Honda up until now. That's for sure. Yeah, we'll yeah we'll see how far if these are concepts or or design, you know, experiments or it, you know the the concept car is such a you know the the variety of what they can be. You're like, well, what's it? Oh, this is just an idea we had. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, like, you're you know, like, oh, this is like, this is like near, per, like, you know, in some places they're like, oh, this is like 80% production. Well, yeah, I mean, at CES this year, Stellantis showed off the uh, the Ram Revolution concept and told us, yeah, this is pretty close to what they, our electric Ram pickup's going to look like. And then three months later, they showed us the Ram 1500 Rev. And apart from the, the tuning fork headlights, it looked almost nothing like the concept. Well, they were pointing. You just weren't paying attention. This is exact. This is what we're gonna do. Yeah, they're just pointing right at the line. There you go. These are. Yeah. This is pretty much exactly what we're doing. Yeah, this is what the headlights are gonna look like. The rest you can forget about. The the headlights will look like yeah. And so, you know, the, Honda has a, a current design language um, that they're doing, which. So we'll see if these are. You know, they're talking about like thirty EVs by twenty thirty twenty forty. Well, you know, one of, those, the, I mean, one of those decades. Yeah, Honda's <laughs> current design language. You know, they're they're in they're in the part of their cycle. They tend to oscillate back and forth between really interesting designs and kind of boring designs. Not bad, just boring. And right now they're kind of in the boring phase. So you know, there looks like you know maybe they're going a little more daring with this next generation. They're going to have more Type R stabby cars coming. Yeah, <laughs> sharp edges, giant wings. <laughs> terrifying the olds all right um i was watching some youtube videos the other day and something interesting popped up when when one when one of the videos finished um that looked fascinating uh it was about the build of something called the platicy so this uh this guy's got a youtube channel um basically took um a model s plaid that he had bought off of Copart, you know, that it had been in a crash and had been totaled, but the the powertrain and the battery were still functional and um, put a Honda Odyssey body on it <laughs> because, you know, the, the Odyssey has a similar wheelbase and a similar width to the Model S. And so he said, what the hell? 
let's make a, a you know, a, a Honda Odyssey plaid. And it uh, actually came out pretty interesting. Well, the, the minivans are awesome. More people should have minivans. So the fact that you can now have a, I guess if you're, if you're rich, you can buy an old plaid and throw a minivan on top of it and have the best of both worlds, I guess. Although, you know, scaring the children. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone strap in. Oh, gosh, Dad, why? <laughs> yeah, three, three, three motor electric uh, Honda Odyssey. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in for it. It's would, it, the the video is pretty long. It's about an hour, but it go, goes through the whole process. You know, he actually ended up buying um, a couple of you know, in addition to the the plaid that they used as the donor car for this, bought another one that had been crashed and and largely destroyed to use to prototype it all. I mean, they they went through you know a lot of work to make sure that this would actually uh, that this, everything could actually fit together and figure out what they had to modify. Um, but you know, at, at the end, you know they they have a, a, what looks like a relatively standard Odyssey, aside from the bigger wheels and tires, um, and uh, you know uh, some mismatched uh, body panels uh, that you know came from various donor vehicles at the wrecking yard. It's um, called a sleeper. That's what that's for. <laughs> yeah, it certainly doesn't look like uh, like anything that offers this kind of performance level. I remember in the '90s, everyone people were buying like Astro, like the Chevy Astro. Oh yeah, they would lower them and they put big stereos in them. Like that was that was that was the heyday of the minivan. And now it's just me and like you know other automotive drivers be like, you should get a minivan. I, I I was looking at a text thread I had with a cousin who who like two years ago I was like, I need a new car. I'm like, well, you have the kids, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, just get a minivan, get an Odyssey, get. A, get a, a sienna a, a pacifica she's like no they're not cool no no i'm like no no minivans are awesome it's way better than suv and i'm trying to explain I'm like imagine you're carrying your child and you're walking up to your vehicle you can just tap a button and the door slides open and then you have this huge space this huge opening in order to put your child in the car seat do all the stuff toss all the things hit the button and close not it. have to reach up in the air to, or you can just push it's the button so and it opens practical. Yeah. and they're and then, so comfortable i mean the Pacifica, yeah, just, even for me is with no kids i loved that vehicle having that we, rent, we rent them all the time they're awesome <laughs> go, i mean the we Pacifica, go on road trips a wonderful vehicle we go on road trips with the dogs we're like well let's just get a pacifica yeah, you know, we just rent a minivan and we'll get a Pacifica run it with like a Sienna hybrid. And we're like, yeah, it's nice. It's comfortable. They're plenty powerful because we end up having to go up in the mountains and, you know, it's fine. The dogs are happy. We have room for stuff. And, you know, if I do band things on that trip, then there's room for band things. No, the minivans are awesome. So much room for activities. That's All true. right. Um, so, uh, Tanya, this week you went to uh, Silicon Valley. You're out in, uh, in Robbie's it, neck of the woods. Why don't you yeah. tell us why you were there? Uh, in lieu of CES, I mean, BMW is still going to be at CES, but in a very small way. They they had a bunch of auto journalists and, and other folks there for, um, it was their 25th anniversary of their tech center in, in, in California. And they showed us it was the it was the North American premiere of the new Vision Noia Classa, which they're definitely going to make. It's a concept vehicle now, but it is coming in 2025, and they are for sure making it because they gave us Hot Wheels version. Okay, hold on. Do, I right? went all the way to Germany to see that thing, and I didn't get any toys. 
I, now, yeah. now I'm angry. I'm going to send yeah. an, 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 an I, email I to Alex. Right right and, and they didn't have any toys there either. Yeah, I'm, I'm sending so a, Tom, Alex, and <laughs> they're all getting angry emails from us. Yeah. We I, also, toys. I also got a uh, 25th anniversary pin that weighs about a pound. They gave <laughs> just like your shirt is like, uh. and my yeah, my lapel is like, uh, I, I can't actually wear it. But um, yeah, they they we got so we got to see it, the North American, and we got to open the doors, and actually we couldn't sit in it, but we were able to like kind of lean into it and take pictures, which I guess you guys couldn't do in in Germany. So I feel slightly special. And then um, the day before that, we we went to different workshops. So they they split us into small groups, and we went to a workshop on intelligent personal assistant, which they talked about their new technology for um they showed us basically what the new the new mini is going to have next year which is an improved version of their current in, intelligent personal assistant they're bringing this very animated cool uh, character it's a dog named spike. spike yeah yeah so we got to meet spike which was cool and then they had um an ar vr journey that was another workshop where they showed us sort of the evolution of how the ar vr glasses have changed and and how they're going to change going forward um, they're working with Meta. We went out to the to uh, Levi Stadium and got to ride in a car wearing these VR um, glasses that they've developed with Meta to sit in the back seat and be able to, you know, do different things. You can you can take a call, and it, it's just it's hard to even explain. And and then we did another workshop, and I'm not going to keep blabbering on here. The, the last workshop was the Innovation Mindset Workshop, which was like the really futuristic stuff, including um, a new scent experience called huh. atmospheres. It's, it's a, it's, it's still in testing phase, but it's, it's, and then we got to go to leave. Smellorama in your new BMW. Well, like, it's, it's like different. the Mercedes. No, it's not like any other. I mean, they, they currently have a scent module that you can buy and put into put your in BMW. The thing, yeah. This is actually interesting in that it's controlled by part of like what you're doing so if you're leaving work and it, it gets to know you so if it knows you're leaving work it's going to give you a special kind of scent if it knows you're going to work it's going to give you a special scent package if you're going to the gym say for you know a pilates class if you're going to a pilates studio it's going to prepare you for that pilates class by giving you a certain sense a scent experience aromatherapy for your drive and it's it's GPS based, which is new. I mean, that's not something oh, I'm getting any other automaker has done so far. So it was now, interesting. My, my question just... is, are they going to require a subscription to get these scent cartridges? Oh, they're not that far. <laughs> they're not they're not that close to it. They they I'm sure I, they will. Yeah, I I would bet they'll at least they'll, they'll at least try that. Yeah. It'll, it'll be like subscribing to ink cartridges for your printer. Yeah, HP. Well, and I did get to do a an hour long session with uh, a roundtable with Stephen Durek, who's their um, SVP of connected connected company development for BMW, and I I did put him on the spot about um, you know how GM is getting rid of Apple CarPlay and and Android Auto, and he said no, we're not doing that. We want to we want our our <laughs> customers to have choice. So that was interesting. No, we're not doing that. Yeah, he said it's important say, for companies say, to have choice. They, they say that now, but my guess is within five years, they will have a very different attitude. They have to like better. They have to be better than Apple CarPlay. Then you say, you know what? It's so much better than Apple CarPlay at that this point. Exactly then you get rid of it. What he that's, said. That's he how said, you do it. 
they're making their native system so good that people aren't going to want the the alternative. So that's their goal. I mean, look, they'll keep offering both, but eventually nobody will be wanting the Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. So then they'll switch to the native system. Jim, yeah, Jim's way. doing it the cold turkey way. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned um, on Wednesday. I'll have a video walkthrough on the Blazer uh, for patrons. If you're if you're a Patreon supporter of the show, you can already see that video. And then on Wednesday, um, everybody else will be able to get a look at that. Check it out. Cool. All right. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Um, to, oh, wait. Um, I had there was there was a, an email, a listener email. I, I completely forgot to put it in here. Okay. Um, questions. So many questions. Uh, What's the deal with Robbie? And then you say, "Oh, we don't know." Oh, here we go. Um, from uh, from Lawrence uh, Lucero. Let me just make sure we didn't do this one last week. Why do I feel like we already did this one? No, we didn't. Okay, so this is from uh, from Lawrence uh, Lucero. Uh, Lawrence in the desert, more specifically, uh, who drives a, a 2020 Civic Si. Save the manuals. Uh, says, hello, gang. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion on something I do not understand. In reference to your story about guidance to avoid bedazzling the steering wheel, that's something we talked about a couple weeks ago, I wonder why driving instruction and schools do not expose new drivers to airbag deployment. And I mean a real in-person deployment, not just a video. I doubt that many new drivers uh, would consider installing covers on the airbag or sitting so close to them if they were exposed to that. Why would why should they wait until an accident to learn the potential for harm, even from this life-saving device? I see many drivers and passengers that seem to be oblivious to how violent they can be when they sit up, cl- sit super close, or putting their feet on the dash. Uh, there are many uh, videos of pranks using airbag inflators that launch people into the air. It may even be an opportunity for a warning label on the steering wheel that could help save new drivers from ever going through that. With so many drivers being killed, I wonder why there does not seem to be any push to help teach young drivers without waiting until it's too late. Anyway, just wanted your take. Thanks for the content and uh, just ordered a shirt. Thanks, Lawrence. And uh, if, if, for those of you that, that want uh, a, a wheel bearing shirt, uh, shop.wheelbearings.media. It'll take you to our store on Cotton Bureau. Um, and, uh, got a couple of different designs, uh, lots of colors available. So, uh, go, go get your, uh, your, um, your wheel bearing swag. So airbags, uh, and driver training. What do you think? I, I think, think it's Darwin. And I think, I think the dumb people are killed by their <laughs> airbags and we should go on because it, you know, I mean, how well, much is it Darwin? If you don't understand how it works. If you if, if you're ignorant because no one's actually taught you how it works. Yeah. So I mean, let's let's assume you know you you haven't you haven't bedazzled your your steering wheel. Um, you, know, the, you just happen to be sitting on the, the feet on the dash thing. I don't yeah. think people understand like what's going to happen if there's a, if there's an accident. I think they're like, oh, I'm just putting my feet up. Da, da, da. You're just yeah. like, or putting or driving with your hand on top of the steering wheel. Like you don't understand what's going to happen if the airbag goes off. They're teaching and, drive or kids now in, in driving school to drive at nine and three. You know, yeah, you the, the, or even like, below, like um, whatever that yeah. is, seven and five. It used to be ten and two, and so they they are teaching them to keep their hands down below, and and they're telling them why. But are they giving them the contextual issues? I I, I think there's 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 an opportunity to to at least 
I, I, I mean, doing it in real life, I don't. I mean, that's going to be expensive. And schools it's don't really have any, expensive to deploy. Schools don't have schools don't have money. I think it no. has to be a video, but you have to have a dummy, like the little dummy with his little feet up, and then you just blow the air back, <laughs> and you see the little leg just snap off, or with your hand up on top. You know, all the the weird little things that you don't think about because they're like, okay, you got to be nine and three. Uh, all right, fine. And you know that that changed. I think they changed that like ten years ago or whatever. And now they're you know seven to five below. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there, you know, you're just telling, this is why, and this is what's going to happen. But if you show them versus telling them, I think there's, there's going to be a, a bigger impact. So maybe we should make a video. Like, yeah, we should make you know, a video. Wheel bearing should so we'll, produce this video. We'll, and, we'll, and we'll go borrow it. a few cars from automakers and you know, crash them into walls and, you know, set up our, uh, our, um, uh, GoPros in there. So you can yeah. see what happens to us when, uh, put them all to slow motion. Yeah. They um, I went to when that BMW thing. I also went to the recycling center over in Germany, and they let me blow all the airbags in a car with a little thing. <laughs> and it's like, it's not a like a it's like they're it's in a room, and like I was like twenty feet away from the car, and everyone you, had to get away from the car. And we had earplugs and like goggles, a hat, and I had like a little control module. And it's it's not something you could just like, hey, let's just do this, but. And, you know, BMW, Volvo, you know, some automaker has an opportunity to sort of show off because um, they have all the equipment and they have all the cameras and they have all the things they could do this. And they could they could create that, throw it on YouTube and then schools uh, could 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 do could it. And, they, it. you know, yeah. there's also like, you know, the, the way school uh, driving driver training has has sort of evolved into it's less it's there's fewer and fewer hours of driver training. I mean, when I was in school, I had to take a whole semester of driver training. Like the whole, like that was a whole class, and then I found out later they don't do that anymore. No, just, yeah, now they very, just, very few schools. Couple do that hours. Anymore. That's it. Couple hours. And then you, then we wonder why no one knows how to drive. I'm like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not going to teach them. Well, how come no one knows how to drive? I don't know. When we and, were young, and and you know most most young drivers have never experienced you know a lot of the technologies that are in vehicles like ABS, like traction control, uh, stability control. Um, you know, or, or, uh, you know, a lot of the safety equipment, you know, when, when my kids were, were younger and they were learning to drive, I actually did, um, uh, take them out into an empty parking lot, you know, as soon as, as soon as we had snow on the ground and, you know, had them try out, you know, slam on the brakes, you know, so they could experience what ABS feels like. You know, Don't pump I, your brakes. Do exactly. not pump your brakes. Do not, do not pump your brakes. On the brake pedal. Yeah, just People press. still like teaching that, the pumping of the brakes. It's like, oh my God, we're so yeah. far away from that. And you know, driving pull, like a 1980 car. Yeah. Pull, pulling the bar- parking brake to practice some skid control. You know, so I, I'd pull the parking brake, you know, at, at random and, you know, have them respond so that they, they, they were used to what it feels like. Very few, unless you send your kids to... Um, you know, like a, a, a racing school, you know, where most most racing schools actually do have young dri- specific young driver programs as well. BMW does. They BMW does. You know, uh, Bondurant, all, all these. You know, and they use skid cars to to do that. So you actually get to experience that stuff. But um, something like airbag deployment, unfortunately, the the nature of how that works, you know, it's you know, it, it's basically one and done. Um, you know, when an air, once an airbag goes off, you have to throw away the whole mechanism. Now you could simulate some of that. It's not going to be the same, but, 
the you know to to cycle every kid in the class through that so they experience it firsthand first of all you'd have to have some kind of mechanism you know to give you the deceleration so you experience to really experience what it feels like rather than just sitting there in a seat in a stationary seat with an airbag going off in front of you that's not going to give you the full effect so unfortunately you know it's it's not really a practical alternative you know, ideally, you know, if you could, if you could even take kids to a place where they do crash tests so they could actually see it in person, um, you know, that gives you a lot more of the impact of the sound, uh, you know, and how violent uh, an occurrence this is when, uh, when a vehicle crashes and when, when the airbags go off. Um, but, you know, there's not, there's not that many places where you can where you can where you can do that practically, and they don't they don't do you know they don't cycle through that many uh, tests um, where where you could get all young drivers through that. So unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to rely on videos, but we do we do need to do a better job of educating people of things like don't you know on any vehicle that's got a passenger side airbag. Really, actually, even if it doesn't have an airbag, don't put your feet up on the dash. Don't put your feet yeah. up. On the dash. If 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 there's a crash. Airbag or not, you know, your feet, your legs gonna are going to get mangled. You're going to have a bad time is what's yes. going to happen. Yeah. No. It's... <sighs> um, and I think that was it. Uh, let's see. Did we? Uh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all we've got for right now uh, for questions. So, I uh, I was in uh, California this week to drive the uh, the Chevy Blazer EV, and we'll talk about that next week. But I did get a chance to talk with um, uh, Derek um, Derek Sequera, who is the head of product for consumers for GM Energy, which is the business unit of GM that's doing all the stuff around charging. And uh, so we had a good conversation about what GM's doing around charging. Talked about the EVgo partnership, uh, what they're doing with uh, Pilot, uh, and GM just had some announcements this week with that. So um, they a couple of years back they announced they were going to do 3,200 uh, urban DC fast charging locations uh, with EVgo, putting them in places like grocery stores and shopping centers. Uh, they've already got about a thousand of those deployed, uh, and they're moving moving quickly to get the rest of them. Um, they've also got a program a partnership with uh, pilot travel centers. Um, so truck stops putting in um, uh, 500 of those at, uh, at pilot truck stops. And those will be, uh, they've got the first, um, but uh, a dozen or so now. And by the end of the month, they will have 25 of those in place. And nice thing about those is they're putting in pull through chargers on those. So if Yay. you are using, an EV to tow a trailer um, and you're on a road trip, you want to charge, you'll want to look for um, these pilot travel centers that will have pull through charging facilities there. Um, and we also talked about what they're doing around home charging and the, the joint venture that was announced a couple of months ago with a bunch of other automakers. So have a listen to that interview um, right after this. And um, we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. 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 Hey everybody, it's Sam. Uh, this week I was in California to drive the new Chevy Blazer EV, and I can't tell you 
about that yet. It's still under embargo. But I did have a chance to chat with Derek Sequera, who is the director of product for residential at GM Energy. And we talked uh, talked for about 20 minutes or so about charging. And so um, have a listen. I think uh, you'll hear, find some, learn some interesting stuff in here about what GM is doing. All right. So, Derek, um, GM Energy is something that most consumers probably aren't familiar with yet. Um, and charging, as we've heard, is a, a major issue. You know, I think the, the, the two biggest barriers to EV adoption are affordability of the vehicles and charging. Um, and we've certainly heard a lot of bad stuff about a lot of the public charging out there. But what is GM doing to address the challenge of charging for EV customers? Absolutely. So at GM Energy, you know, we're pioneering solutions for all of our customers, whether they're at home, public or uh, commercial. Our goal is to really take away some of those barriers that you mentioned when it comes to charging, range, anxiety. And it all starts with education, right? So education is really the first building block that we're working on. And for that, we are building out tools. So EV Live, I think you're familiar with, uh-huh. is something that we've got out there to get some of those EV intenders, those that have the or EV curious curiosities or are getting the wrong information from social media or my grandmother or whatever the case may be. So EV lives are first line of defense, right? To get the information out there. Also, we want to make sure we're working with our dealers to build up the education piece as well. So we've got some really great programs that our dealers are engaging with, including EV live to help bridge the education gap. So that's one piece. Beyond that, it's making sure we've got great solutions for the home. Because as we most as most of us know, the majority of charging in an electric vehicle is likely going to happen at home, over 80%. So we are building out not only a great product ecosystem for the home, starting with chargers that put energy into your vehicle, but very shortly we'll be introducing our new GM Energy home and home ecosystem that will introduce bi-directional charging to pull energy out of your vehicle. So that's the way we're tackling it on the home side. So you mentioned public charging. That's something that customers who don't have access to good home charging or are power users, as we say, are going to have to encounter. Well, and, and especially if we look forward, I mean, today, you know, the reality is, you know, New vehicle sales are only a small portion of total vehicle sales. Oh, yeah. We sell a lot more used vehicles every year mm-hmm. than new vehicles. And for new vehicle customers and people buying, purchasing new vehicles, um, yeah, most of them are, you know, going to have access to home charging. And, you know, they're sure. going to do most of their charging at home, as you said, 80% or more. Mm-hmm. Once, you, once these vehicles get into the used vehicle market a few years from now, you have a much higher percentage of people who are renters or apartments sure. or condos, mm-hmm. and they're going to be reliant on that public charging. Right. And that's that's where we've got the real problem. It is. Uh, multi-unit dwellings are a huge problem. On the public charging side, though, what we want to do is make that public charging very accessible to the customer. So in your My Chevrolet app, when you get that used Bolt or that used Blazer, you've got the ability to get in there and access over 164,000 level two and DC fast chargers across the United States and Canada. The bonus there is through our OnStar system, you have the ability to 
take the data from the vehicle, so state of charge, and use that in your route planning mm-hmm. so that you can get from Detroit to Chicago on the appropriate state of charge, but it'll also lead you to the right chargers along the way. So 164,000 is where we start. But we're continuing to invest in building chargers as well. Because you know what? For the longest time, it was, hey, somebody else is going to deal with that. But at GM, we believe we're part of the solution. So we've announced our EVgo uh, build in the metro areas, our pilot Flying J project, which we just updated everybody on yesterday to get 25 of these completed by the end of the year and then continue the progress throughout 2025 and beyond. We also are opening up our the supercharger network to our customers early in Q1, which adds another 15,000. So if you're keeping track, we're starting to get some big numbers. Add that to the 30,000 with our joint venture with the seven other with the seven OEMs and now you're really talking choice for mm-hmm. customers to get to public charging. So that's how we're addressing availability. Beyond that is reliability. Right. So and you, that was, that's my next question. You is, mentioned what is, what is what is what how is GM you know, with, with the various partners you have, whether it's EVGO and with Pilot and, and the, the joint venture, what, what are some specifics that you're going to do to ensure that all these tens of thousands of chargers that are being deployed are actually working when customers get to them? Yeah. So in every project that we are investing in, we're putting in some very stringent service level agreements to get really high uptime. And working with these providers to make sure that our vehicles are compatible with their hardware and that we're doing integration together to really make sure that if there is a problem, we don't want it to be the vehicle. We don't want it to be the hardware. You know, you want it to be something like, hey, maybe the someone drove over the charger. Those are the, the small things that eventually we're going to have to figure out how to fix, but we want to rule out the pieces that are within our control. And it's super important for us to make sure that we're holding each other accountable to these high uptimes. So one of the one of the challenges with using public charging today mm. is uh, you know oftentimes y- you will look in the app or mm. look in OnStar, Google Maps, wherever, and tell you where there's a charger, and you get there, and it's in the back corner of you know some dark corner behind a, a mall. Yeah. You know if you get there in the evening, it might be closed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no canopy. There's no signage. Uh, you know, when you drive down the road, there's a 30 foot high sign for every gas station. You know exactly where those gas pumps are. Mm-hmm. Actually finding those chargers um, can often be difficult. And the experience when you're there, I mean, if you're sitting there for 20, 30, 40 minutes mm-hmm. to charge, you know, it's, there's, there's often nothing to do. <laughs> and so what, yeah. you know, how, how, how are you addressing that challenge? Yeah. So in the projects that we're investing in, let's take the Pilot Flying J project. We are looking at ways to make that experience much better. So by signing up with a partner like Pilot Flying J, you have amenities that are there. Amenities that are great, that truckers, drivers are using all the time. And now as an EV driver, you have access to that. On top of it, we are building out good experience for customers by investing in things like canopies Mm -hmm. to protect you when the snow's out, when it's pouring rain. So that you don't need to worry about that when you're out in public charging. So that's the first example. But as we look to some of these new projects, we'll continue to iterate on that and look for better ways to make charging more convenient 
and more friendly for customers. And the um, the, the the first uh, project, the, the urban charging network with EVGO, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's what thirty two hundred and fifty yep. plant chargers that are part of that. And is what about a thousand of those are now deployed? Yeah, a little over a thousand. And um, where where are those being deployed? So we're deploying those in metro areas across the United States. Uh, some sh- would be in shopping plazas and places where we know that customers are going to co- congregate to. They have time to go and charge, maybe stop in, get their groceries, and continue on their way. And will those have some of the? I mean, uh, well, obviously they've got amenities like shopping and things yeah. like that. But will they, you know, also have things like canopies as well associated with them? For the first batch, you know, we've uh, we've we built them out. I think we'll continue to look for opportunities mm-hmm. in some of the future builds to have those. But uh, as of right now, we're going to sort of continue on the deployment as is. Okay. Now, yeah, we're here to drive the new Blazer EV, mm-hmm. but. Sitting over here is a is a Silverado EV, yes. and one of the reasons why people buy those big trucks is for towing. Yeah, and um, if anybody that has tried to charge uh, an electric truck mm-hmm. with a trailer hooked up uh, has found uh, a rather challenging experience. Yes, so. you can't back in. Yeah, so. In these investments, we are also looking at amenities like pull-through charging so that you can have the confidence that I'm out on that road trip, I'm going to that pilot Flying J, and I can fit my Make, Making sure that trailer. some of those chargers are set up that way so yeah. you can do that. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, every couple of hundred miles, pull in somewhere, unhook your trailer, Go charge your truck, then hook the trailer back up, it's then do that all again three hours it's just later. It's going to lead to yeah. poor experiences in electric vehicles, which we know by driving it is not a poor experience. Right. It's actually a pretty amazing. Yeah, experience. no, it's it's a it, driving an EV is a great experience. Owning one, sometimes not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and and lar- and primarily because of the, the the user experience around charging. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's, it's good to hear that that's something that that you're uh, addressing. You mentioned earlier Tesla having access to, or well, you mentioned the supercharger network. I yes. don't think you actually used the word Tesla. You mentioned the supercharger network, mm-hmm. and um, early in the in 2024, um, that will start rolling out. Uh, so presumably, you'll have uh, an OTA software update to the vehicles to that are out there to enable that, and yeah, and also an adapter. We haven't, uh, you know, put forth our strategy yet. <coughs> our plan is in early 2024. To give everyone an update along with how we're going to get adapters into hands of customers who want to be able to access those networks. Okay. And um, for all of these thousands of chargers that you're also investing in, um, at some point, presumably, um, the ones that are out there will get updated with NACS connectors and new ones will be built with both NACS and CCS. So as we work through the projects, you know, we're going to continue to build out. CCS, and as our portfolio starts to switch over, we'll look at opportunities to add any CS chargers, chargers because we want to make sure we've got charging infrastructure out there that's accessible to everybody, whether they bought an EV today or they're going to buy one in 2025. Okay. So a um, lot, lot of great progress being made, and I think certainly targeting the right things, I think, yeah. uh, to, to improve that experience for EV owners. So um, I'm gl- glad to see this happening. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the GM home energy, GM sure. energy home stuff and okay. what you're doing there. 
Yeah, so with GM Energy Help, as I mentioned earlier, we are trying to unlock more value for the customer at their moment of electrification. And by introducing concepts such as bi-directional charging, you can take the stored energy in that Blazer EV, that 102 kilowatt hour battery, and utilize it for what you need as a customer. And the first use case that we want to make sure we've got available is a vehicle to haul. So providing resiliency to customers in the event of a blackout and outage. Because we know there's some jurisdictions around here in the U.S. where the grid is, is fragile, right? It's old infrastructure. Um, we're here in California. Where yeah, it's- and it hasn't been upgraded. So why can't the customer take the power within their vehicle and use that when they need it the most? So we're building a product ecosystem to support that. It all starts with our first bi-directional charger, power shift. The power shift gives you 19.2 kilowatts of AC charging. So you can take advantage of the fastest AC charging we offer, like on the Silverado EV, but then have the ability to harness 9.6 kilowatts of DC directly from the battery. And with our available equipment, which we call the enablement bundle, a bi-directional inverter, a home hub, and a dark start battery, you can now power your home with that. So this to us is really where we want to bring our GM energy portfolio in the future. But it doesn't stop there. There are customers who are super interested in owning their own energy destiny. They want to get off the grid. So we've also got options that allow more flexible energy generation or storage. So you can purchase a stationary energy storage battery, which is our GM Energy Altium, uh, our GM Energy Power Bank, or connect to solar with one of our preferred providers. So you have the ability to take the energy in the vehicle, you have the ability to take the energy from the sun, and you can do it all with GM Energy. And I know uh, you talked about the, the Silverado having that capability. Mm-hmm. Will the Blazer have that bi-directional capability as well? Uh, we've announced that all of our Altium vehicles okay. by 2026 will have vehicle-to-home capability with the Blazer and the rest of the family to come next year. Okay, so right now, if you buy a Blazer, it doesn't have that capability, but it, at we some point... unlocked like, the capability. Oh, okay, yeah. so the hardware is there. <laughs> But yeah, you just haven't turned it on yet. Yeah. Okay. With the available hardware offboard okay. hardware, you've got that capability. Okay. okay. So so people buy a Blazer now, they will at some point have that av- available to them. Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, all right. And um, it, I know one of the, the projects that's previously been announced was a partnership with PG&E here in California yeah. uh, to pilot... Um, some remote management of sure. charging mm-hmm. using that bi-directional capability uh, and ma- having it being managed from at the utility level. Mm-hmm. Um, how's that project going along? Yeah, we're continuing to work with PG&E. Um, yeah, we'll have more to announce as we get closer to having a, an example to, to show everyone, but uh, it is progressive. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Anything else on charging or energy uh, that uh, we haven't talked about? That uh, no, just the intent. No, well, to wrap it up, it all starts with education, right? Yeah, that's the that's the basis. That, actually, before before we finish up, uh, I, yeah, I forgot about that. I wanted to get back to that education part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about that at the beginning of this conversation. Um, because I think education really is important, especially for first-time EV buyers, sure. because the 
the way you use an EV and charge an EV is fundamentally different from a gas vehicle. Yeah. You, you know, you pull up to a gas pump, doesn't matter if your tank is bone dry or three quarters full, you stick the nozzle in there and it pumps the same fuel, it pumps the fuel at the same rate until it's full. Sure. Um, it's different. It's fundamentally different with an EV. You know, char- with the lower state of charge, charges faster, eventually ramps down to protect the battery. Sure. And so is that part of what you're teaching both your, your retail partners, dealers, as well as the customers? It is. We want to make sure we highlight the different types of charging, whether it's level one charging on your 120 volt outlet, level two, 240, where you're getting a consistent power into the vehicle. Or to what you mentioned with DC fast charging, help to understand the different power levels and the capability of the vehicle, plus the capability of the equipment that you're charging at. So that is all part of the education, because if you don't understand that, it could lead to some frustrating experiences. Yeah. All right. So final wrap up. Yeah. So at GM Energy, we are committed to providing solutions for every customer. And it all begins with this product ecosystem that we're building, plus our work on public charging to make sure that we've got those great solutions accessible for all of our customers. All right. Thank you very much, Derek. Thanks, Sam. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.